There you go. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I could feel the arrows coming through the waves, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's discuss an interesting minag that, um, that I guess most of us uh, do uh, on Rosh Hashanah, and that is the minag of, of Tashlich. So I'm not sure um, if you were part of this when you were growing up, but um, it was interesting that uh, in, in, in Yeovil, where I grew up, so we would, um, we would walk, whether it's from observatory or Yeovil, you walk all the way through to this place called the Wilds. And, um, you know, today, you know where it is, right around the corner of the Joburg Gen there. And uh, they, were, they were basically just the only place or it was a very good place to go and see streams of water with, with fish in it. And uh, there was this minak basically that um, everyone would go, everyone would go to the site with this flowing water, and uh, would say a prayer, which is printed in the printed in the machzor. And we all know the the minak is called tashlich from the word to throw, um, and it represented the idea of throwing one's sins away if you can. So let's try and dis- discuss this minak. I remember it's interesting that. In my family, we never actually had the minak, so I really felt a bit out on this one. To such a to such a lebedika get together, the old Jewish community basically, um, you know, all, all all arrived at the wilds. Um, anyway, so yeah, people go, of course, to watch to the sea, to Rose Bay, any body of water, um, people look at, and then say this prayer that's uh, printed in the machzor. So. Let's try and understand a little as to what this uh, minag is all about. So this, this uh, minag, this custom goes back all the way to, to medieval times, to the times of the Rishonim, that one visits a body of water on Rosh Hashanah. And uh, over time, the practice developed to, to recite a tefillah there. And you say certain psukim, certain verses, and it's, uh, as we know, it's, uh, it's known as the Tashlich uh, service, which is printed in the and the machzor generally after after mincha. Now, the classic uh, reason uh, for this custom is that it speaks uh, that it's based on on one of the psukim um, that uh, Hashem we ask Hashem to cast the sins of the Jewish people into the depths of the sea. That's a pasuk from Micha that we uh, that we look at, and this this phrase in the particular in 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 the prophet in the prophet Micha. This phrase of casting uh, the sins of the Jewish people into the depths of the sea, so this this um, this metaphor motivated this whole idea that um, some sort of a you know symbolic trigger act where whereby a physical manifestation of a spiritual idea allows for the fulfillment of 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 this and a, a more meaningful approach to this. So. Um, this is what happens often with customs that you find a phrase in the in Tanakh which describes, even though it's metaphorical, describes that you know we ask Hashem to forgive us, and in order to to you know to give it a certain kind of a charisma and a bit of color, so you know you you create a you create a um, not not artificial in a bad way, but you create a a a, a, a minag a custom where people. Will go and do something, and a, a physical act normally triggers, um, you know, some buy into the concept, and this allows people to 
feel for the for the moment, just like going to shul and 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 then doing all these things, people feel that you know doing something allows me to focus on the idea better. So um, this is, uh, I guess, in the in our day and age now, these kind of things are interesting. That out of all the customs that we can do, he has one that doesn't really need a minion, and a person can do it on their own. You can just go, you know, wherever you want to walk to. Uh, in the area and you can essentially just you see the sea and the minute you see the sea or a body of water and you sit there and you contemplate for a few minutes or even if you're walking with your you know our spouses or or kids or something you can just at least it might be a minag that uh, comes more into focus this year than many many others because it's the one you can do that's all legal and not getting into trouble so um this is the idea of how, it, of how it starts. There's a pasuk with a metaphor about Hashem casting the sins of the Jewish people into the sea. And um, um, the, the idea behind it is, is that if you create some sort of uh, physical representation of it, where you actually motivate a, a five, ten minute focus, then this uh, allows you to think about the idea you know, better. And that's, uh, that's what we understand about many of the customs that we, that we do. Now, what's interesting behind the custom is, um, is uh, you know, the idea behind it is, is that, you know, there are a couple of different, uh, you know, variations of what motivated people. But the Ramah, the famous uh, Ashkenazi halachic uh, posseg, um, he writes as follows, that um, we should think about the following. And that is that the entire world originally was created in such a way that the, the the entire world at some point in time was covered with water, and, and, and at a certain point in time, Hashem, you know, you know, orders that the water gather into bodies of water to allow dry land to emerge, and on that piece of dry land, you know, a, a human being can start to can start to to develop society. And so in order for the world with human beings to exist, with animals to exist, you have to, you have to create this um, the separation between, between oceans and, and, and dry land. And, um, and so on the day of, of Rosh Hashanah, we, um, when, we, when we're trying to connect with our idea of crowning Hashem as king over the world, so when you go to a body of water, so you you remind yourself and you say you know hey wow really this uh, this the only reason that there are oceans and dry land in the first place is because um, the water stays in its place Hashem has created the world and miraculously the water stays where it's supposed to stay and and doesn't uh, tsunami over us and 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 cover the entire dry land and wipe it out and the re only reason it does so is because Hashem has decreed for it to be so. And so the Ramah suggests that this is one of the things that you should go through our heads on, on Rosh Hashanah when, when observing this custom, that uh, you reflect upon the fact that the whole reason that the world was created and the waters are, are in place and don't threaten us is because uh, we were put here to fulfill the purpose um, of serving Hashem. And um, ultimately, just like the water, you know, stays in its place and uh, and and does it uh, and, and does its thing, and so to speak, uh, you know, fulfills the 
the decree of Hashem. So if we uh, if we feel this message of the water coming through, and um, and you know we sort of get this idea that uh, you know if we uh, think about this message of the water, resolve to repair our mistakes and do better, then we have indeed cast our sins into the into the depths of the of the sea. So this is a kind of another theme that that uh, the Rama speaks about. You know when when uh, taking a walk on, on Rosh Hashanah towards a body of water. This is one of the themes that, um, that he thinks one should focus on. Now, the Gaon of Vilna actually has a, um, this is quite ironic, but the Gaon of Vilna um, gives us a very interesting idea that, uh, that he brings to the fore. And he says, uh, he says like this. He says that um, it's a very early, Ashkenazic Minag, this Minag of Tashlich. And um, he says that what lies behind it is a, is a, a Midrash, a kind of a, a legend description of what happened to Avram Avinu on his journey to sacrifice or bind Yitzchak on, on Haramoriya. So the Midrash tells us as follows. It's a, you might be familiar with this Midrash, a very you know, colorful midrash. Uh, the midrash tells us that um, Hashem comes to Avram Avinu and he tells him that uh, he wants him to to bring Yitzchak up to Haramoriah. Avram Avinu assumes that this is, you know, in order to sacrifice Isaac. Um, so the whole the drama that he gets up early, settles his donkey, takes Yitzchak with him. He's got uh, he's got he's got his servant. Uh, Eliezer with him, and he's got Ishmael with him, and they make their journey, um, you know, let's call it from, from Beersheba um, all the way through to, to Yerushalayim. <clears throat> so when, they, when they, uh, the journey starts, of course, the, the spiritual forces in the world, the angels, everyone knows that uh, is connected spiritually, that this is going to be like the tipping point in, the, in, in, in Jewish history, one of the major ones. <clears throat> if Avram Avinu is able to, to pass this test without uh, any hitch, the power, the power that he infuses the Jewish DNA with is, is out of this world. One of the most powerful forces that we have of, of self-sacrifice and, and dedication and commitment to listening to Hashem's words, even when you don't understand it, um, this is really all coming together through this particular story, um, you know, of uh, you know of of Avram Avinu taking this journey to go and uh, and sacrifice Yitzchak. Just quickly, see if I can grab this midrash, and um, I'll read it to you. Let's see, here. Let's see if I can find it while we talk. Quoted in the original, but. Um, Anyhow, there's a um, the midrash goes on to tell you that that the satan, um, of course, is aware of what's going on, and the satan is now going to try whatever it can, you know, to to destroy this opportunity. So um, when um, <clears throat> whenever he can, so the satan now presents himself and to try and smash this journey 
And so he throws whatever he can at Avram Avinu um, so that he uh, so that he doesn't make this journey happen. Anyway, so what happens is, is that uh, the Satan uh, dresses himself up in certain props, you know, to try and... So the one in the Midrash tells us that there was a... You know, Avram Avinu bumps into a philosopher. A very, you know, like a, the Satan dressed as an, an old wise sage and he gets into conversation with him, asks him where he's going, what he's doing, and he tries to... This old man is saying, well, you're only child, are you joking? You know, you know they, they start having a huge philosophical argument about whether this whole mission is worth is worth the effort and whether it's worth it. And all the arguments are deflected by the, you know, by Avram Avinu. Um, the idea behind it is, is that there are all these ways of the Satan trying to get him. And then there's a, you know, he, he tries to, he tries to, the Satan tries to get to, to, to dress himself up as a, a gangster. And, a, you know, he comes along as a Tzotzi to try and murder him. And, he try, you know, and then he, he, he does all sorts of things to try and stop Avram Avinu. And each stretch of the way and every, every prop that he, that he uses is almost like a metaphor that throughout the ages, whenever the, the Jews are trying to, to connect to Hashem, there's always going to be a, a group of people that are going to try and destroy us. And so there was there's certain people like the philosopher who met Avram Avinu that, um, that represent those people who, who attack us you know, in the marketplace of ideas where you, you know, you, you battle things out and you, you know, whether it's uh, different competing religious philosophies or in general philosophies, you know, from, uh, from the secular point of view, uh, all these different um, metaphors represent the struggle that Jews have had to overcome over the years, you know, to somehow um, convince ourselves and commit ourselves to a religious doctrine, which, can often be um, can be challenging because philosophically you can't just prove things like you can in a in a scientific laboratory, and so it needs a lot of faith and to flex that muscle is often hard. So, just like Abraham on his way to the the actual bonding of Yitzchak um, meets a, meets this old wise man who starts engaging him in philosophical talk, we should understand. I'm sure I have to be ready throughout our history to be able to develop our understanding and faith in our doctrine that any kind of philosophical argument that's thrown at us, we have, you know, we have an ability to deal with. So that's the metaphor of this old man meeting Avram Avinu on the journey, trying to convince him out of uh, doing something that, that seems to be crazy. And then again, the, the metaphor of a bandit attacking him is anti-Semitism coming you know, being thrown at us, and uh, you know, if we if we uh, if we didn't commit so much to these crazy ideas, we wouldn't have this this attack. Again, these are the metaphors that apply across Jewish history are crystallized in the story of Avram Avinu. You know, um, you know, meeting meeting different people, whether he meets people who represent uh, love and tolerance and and pleasantness, and and they say what you're doing is cruel. What's people who represent philosophy or people who represent science? All of these different attacks, you know, come upon Klal Israel and they 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 part of this, the props that the Satan dressed up as in order to the Avamavinu thought they were real. He just didn't uh, you know, but um, but the fact that he he battled his way through, the Satan couldn't stop him. Anyway, eventually 
the last, the last, uh, I guess the the last, you know, the ace in the in the Satan's pack of cards that he threw at Avram Avinu was uh, was the following: he um, he turns himself into a, he either does it himself or he, he turns he turns he turns himself into a river, this massive uh, you know river, which stands as a kind of a, a physical block in the path of Avramavino. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, it seems it seems impossible to to traverse this particular river, you know. And um, anyway, Avramavino just you know moves through this river, and as he wades into the river, you know. He didn't have, I don't think Terach taught him to swim. And even if he did, you know, it's just too powerful a natural force that he couldn't go. But Armavino sort of recognizes that, uh, you know, once they get up to the next in water, he, he, he realized that there's something here. Hashem wants him to do it and uh, he's done his best. So he can't go any further. And so at this point, the Midrash says that Hashem, that Armavino cries out to Hashem. And he says, you, you know, I'm ready to do it, but, uh, you know, you've got, you got to help me here. And so all of a sudden, um, the river basically disappeared. So this is the Midrash that describes this particular, you know, this particular scene as to what happens over here. Um, and, and often, again, the, the metaphor behind it and why this was such an interesting trick that the Satan uses. Why is this different from all the others? So in the other scenarios, you know, there was, um, you know, the 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 interesting part was that Avramavino had to intellectually battle uh, against, you know, all the, you know, all the scientific and philosophical approaches. He also had to physically battle against the, you know, a bandit. But but interestingly enough, yeah. Um, you don't see the enemy. It's not like you have somebody who's trying to derail you. All of a sudden, yeah, you're confronted by a, a natural phenomenon. It's as if, you know, well, what can I do? You know, uh, I, I can't get, get to shoot today. It's snowing outside. It's raining. And so you feel you, you feel much more um, vindicated for, for giving up when there's a physical threat that nobody can expect you to overcome. And this is really a Another area of how, you know, we are often, you know, challenged where there are physical, there are threats or natural threats that that come our way, and um, and I just they they just present the perfect excuse, and it, you know, I think again, just looking for ideas to relate to the scenario that we're facing at the moment, it's like you know, it's the easiest thing, you know, to uh, to to justify not. Not going to shul because you're not allowed to, and it's and it's and it's potentially dangerous, and and then that sort of that gives obviously um, pause to all the communal activities, and then you know there's you know you're sitting at home and you're thinking uh well you know do I have to dive in now, uh, and it's really hard to motivate yourself because you're not you're not communally pushed. There's no peer pressure. There's no buy into things. You've really got to like look at the world and say well. Even though things are difficult, you still have to push to to get through it. You have to like, you know, your the the water's up to your neck. You got to push through, and Hashem, and you know, to get to get that extra bit of commitment going. So this is like a kind of a metaphor where 
it's probably the hardest out of all the uh, out of all the, um, the tricks that the Satan threw at Avinu to resist because you know the excuses are easy. The excuse is that hey, you know, if God really wanted me to to go to shul or to daven, then he would have made it possible that we can do it. You know, so yeah, Hashem told Avram Avinu, you know, take Yitzchak on this journey and, uh, you know, puts a stumbling block in his way. And it's it's not as a person where you see the enemy. You, It's natural. A natural phenomenon is, is God. So it's like an expression of Hashem. So you think, okay, you know, why is Hashem putting this in my way? Obviously, he doesn't want it to happen. So there's a kind of a, um, there's, there's, a there's, there's something that's really interesting about this particular trick that that the that the satan uses you know in the, in the in the form of a of a river and so yeah what happens is according to this midrash uh, this is what the gaon thinks is the source of this din of this custom is that uh, a river is is reminiscent of the akeda the whole story of uh, that we read about on rosh hashanah morning where avramavinu takes Yitzchak and he binds him and he's prepared to sacrifice him. This is all Rosh Hashanah, right? This is exactly what happened on Rosh Hashanah. But yeah, this custom possibly was motivated by the story that you know a, a, the river or going to a body of water that's 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 like of this nature is reminiscent of the Akeda, and we visit we visit a body of water on Rosh Hashanah in order to arouse the merit of that event. That Hashem should uh, forgive Amishal and protect us. Um, now we've done so much of this in, on a regular in a regular year, you know, where there's no COVID and all any other, any other kind of block. Um, we do we do so much of this uh, invoking the merit of the Arcada um, in Shul, right? That we we do it in a we we blow the shofar, you know, we daven, we we read it in the Torah reading. Um, you know, so the shofar is a is a, is a reminder of the akeda. You know, the zichronot side of the, the bracha that we say in the middle of the musaf shmona esrei. You know, zochera brit and remember us with, you know, remember mercy and remember the akeda of Yitzchak, and, the, and, and you know the kriyata Torah of, of day number two is the actual the actual journey to the, and the sacrifice or the the binding of Yitzchak. So it's not like it's. Um, the whole theme is, is is such a strong theme that uh, permeates the 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 Rosh Hashanah davening, and yeah, the 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 this, this tashlich actually is another it's another way of recalling the merit of Kali Israel's commitment to Hashem by, by by reworking the story or this part of the story as well, um, because basically. You know, by reworking the midrash and talking about the story, um, this is uh, you know this is an, an interesting point over here. That you know, if you have a chance to have a discussion about it around the table, you know, with whoever's with you, you talk about this idea that sometimes you know phys- physical realities or natural realities, which we often interpret as an we always interpret as an expression of Hashem. So there are these kind of impossible rivers that Hashem throws in front of us. And um, it's at this point in time when we meet these kind of factors that are beyond our control, we think, okay, you know, there's there's every excuse under the sun to be able to to back off from any any kind of commitment. And uh, yeah, we you know we showed Hashem, we were prepared to, we got up, we got dressed, we went for, we walked outside, and all of a sudden the rain came down. You know, 
and all of, but but everything. So yeah, it's showing about the preparedness to go through with all of this, despite the fact you know um, that there are there are seemingly obstacles in our way to to get there. And this is maybe in a in an interesting in an interesting way. It's the the greatest tribute to one's commitment is that they that that you don't let anything get in the way of reaching the goal. And even though it looks like it's not going to happen, you know, you somehow put in that extra effort and and you make it happen. You know, people think, what are the chances of doing something? So, well, you know, you, if you push an extra mile, many a time Hashem steps in and when it looks impossible, uh, then Hashem allows you or helps you to, to the, and the river, the river dries up and, and, and this and disappears. And so in a way we, we talk about in shul, we talk about the actual event itself and the self-sacrifice that Avram Avinu makes and the drama is focused on, as the Torah say, tells us, you know, the binding of Yitzchak um, and uh, it's just a, the drama is there. But yeah, is an opportunity to focus on the actual journey to get to the drama. Um, and so the Gaon suggests that there's a kind of a, you know, opportunity for people to, um, you know, that this is where the Minak came from. So, you know, whether it's the walk to or from the water on Rosh Hashanah afternoon, you know, it might be long depending on where, where you live. That, that, that's, part of the, that's part of the reflection that should happen when you go, when you go on the walk, you know. Um, but um, this is the whole idea of going to the Tashlich, where you go to a body of water, um, is to basically is to basically reinculcate this idea within us that you motivate yourself to say that you know um, I've got all these good intentions, but there's so many things blocking my path, so I've got no choice, you know, but to but to turn back. So the lesson of Tashlich over here reminds us of all the metaphorical rivers that uh, that are thrown in our path often and. And can over, can can be overcome, um, and uh, the, the main idea is that Am Israel should realize that we we are embedded with within our DNA. Um, we have a certain koyach that that tells us not to be uh, responsive to circumstance. We we have to be engaged in creating new circumstances. We have to be able to push deeper, and so this is an amazing lesson that comes out of the of the story of the Akedah that. If somebody asks you what you know, what was, what's the motivation of this minag of this custom of tashlich of going to a body of water and reciting a prayer, um, this is these are some of the ideas that possibly motivated the, the the scholars in the medieval times, you know, to actually make this minag. It's 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 um it's actually sourced to the Maharil, you know, who's uh, who's one of the father. The father of all Ashkenazim in Hagim, he was very um, proficient in in doing this in a lot of areas. Gave a lot of um, understanding to to Minhagim, which which uh, either he set in motion or explained, and uh, and the motivation continues. Now I mentioned before that the Gaon quotes this midrash as what he thinks was the source to motivate the Minag of Tashdich, the midrash that tells us to contemplate. The journey and not turning back, an idea that we recall the Akeda through going to a body of water, because that was the hardest and most difficult trick that the Satan embodied in order to force Avram Avinu and Yitzchak back from completing that uh, 
that major spiritual journey. So um, why, why is it an irony? It's because the Gaon himself didn't have the custom. So he, he actually didn't do Tashlech. And um, I remember as a kid, because, because our family is connected, you know, to the, to the Gaon of Illness family. So, you know, quite a few of the customs that, that uh, the Gaon and the family did, our, our actual family tree goes to the, the brother of the, of the Gaon of Vilna. That's the direct, that's the, I think it's, I worked it out once. I think it's, I think it's nine, nine generations back. So the great, 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 great grandfather was, was the Gaon of Vilna's brother. And so having, having this, this titular figure uh, in the, in the family. So his brothers and, and, and the, the, the children and grandchildren all basically became, all were motivated to capture the Gaon of, Vil of Vilna's Torah. And so um, besides the Gaon himself having written a lot, a lot of works, but uh, they, when he died, you know, the way the Gaon wrote, it was so hard to, um, to, un to, to, to basically unpack everything there. So they, that was their last mission to publish his works and, you know, to comment on them. And anyway, they, this is all, this is all part of the, the family's thing. Anyway, so a trickle down to, to us. So, you know, us great-great-grandchildren picked up from our parents and grandparents some of these minhagim. So I remember being really, I was really upset about this one because uh, it was such fun on Rosh Hashanah afternoon you know, to join with all your chevra and take this nice long walk. It was a 40-minute, 45-minute walk, you know, from where we lived in observatory all the way through to, to the wilds. But it was, as a kid, you can imagine such such fun, you know. And um, anyway, I, I used to just, you know, my father, you know, would stay at home, and, and, and but he would let me tag along with everybody else. You know, so I would, you know, if you don't have to, you're not going to go and step for 45-minute walk on Rosh Hashanah afternoon, you know. You're going to you're gonna you're gonna stay at home but um when you're a kid it's quite exciting to do anyway we would go there and uh you know the the, the grounds of the wilds across the there was, there was a bridge crossing from one side of the highway to the other and there were these massive uh hills of grass and we would take uh we would take pieces of cardboard with us or find them there people would just leave them there just to like slide down you know this uh, and have races down there. there's a whole whole spiel Anyway, this this idea that I couldn't go or my father didn't take me was because the minag of the grow was not to do it. And um, the interesting, the question was always, what was what was the problem? What did it, so this happens with the gaon a lot that he'll make a, he'll write a comment as a footnote to the shulchan aruch, which has all these customs and laws, and and he's, he and he he took it on as his job was to show where the source of the custom was. Or the source of the law is, but but many a time he'll just give you the source of of where the custom starts from. But he himself either disapproved or didn't do the custom. But 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 from an academic point of view, he just wanted to show you where it came from. So anyway, there were I never I never really I never really was told or it wasn't explained to me. You know, my dad didn't explain to me anyway what the reason was. Just said it wasn't our custom. So. Um, you know, when you look around, it's not clear exactly what the biggest issue was, but there, there are possibly two, there are possibly two reasons why some people, you know, you know, didn't do this. 
The truth be told is, to the best of my knowledge, the Sephardi world didn't do this either. The Tashlich thing was really an Ashkenazi minak. So the Sephardim didn't do it. Um, somebody, no one motivated the custom. But when the custom was adopted by the Kabbalists, and I think the Arizal himself, you know, was, was excited about the custom and gave so much Kabbalistic expression to it. So then it, you know, it became, it became like there was the, the appeal widened to include most of us. And I would probably say that most of Am Israel do this minag, even the Sephardim today. But, uh, you know, I don't know for sure, but that's what it seems. Now, there were two, there were two issues that, that could possibly, um, you know, motivate somebody being not that keen to do this minag. Number one is it's written in the various Svarim uh, as follows. They would say, look, the motivation behind the custom is really fantastic. Tashlich is a, uh, a great minat. But we have to understand the whole idea is repentance. You know, the whole idea is atonement. The idea is to be serious about Yiddishkeit. If you're going to have, if you're going to turn this into a big social, you know, and no one's going to really focus upon everything. And there's just going to be a whole, you know, everybody just comes in, everyone just talks. It's Losh and horror. It's like, you know, the mingling of guys and girls and the whole spiel, it's just become a social, then you've you've destroyed the custom. In other words, the purpose hasn't been hasn't been arrived at. And uh in general, in general, the, the Balea Musa who were they were always quick to point out people who were driven to motivate to motivate Amisrael in, in this level of, of, of ethics were motivated to point out that whenever you have a big social in Shul as well, there's always a, you know there's always a, a yaitzahora there to losh and 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 to and to go past a certain point you know with with the social, and so therefore there were there were customs that also arose after Yontif for people to to fast. We don't we don't have this custom because most of us can just you know we struggle to deal with the fast that we have. You know all of a sudden there's another couple of fasts in there. But the, but in the old days, there were certain groups of people who would fast after every major yontif, because in in you know in uh, go to shul and say slichot and uh, and read from the Torah just to, like you do on a minor fast day. And the whole the whole purpose of it was to to ask to to ask Hashem to forgive us for maybe for if we overstepped the mark in the social area over over yontif. You know, there's too much lotion and horror in the sukkah, too much lotion and horror in shul. Uh, that was really uh, um, an idea that the Balea Musar hammered down, you know, to us all the time. In fact, um, it's just in my it's just in my mind now, only because uh, on Shabbos, you know, we we read Parshat Shoftim, and uh, the opening line about the Pasha is that we need to uh, appoint judges and police and police to 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 uh, motivate law and order. In a society, shoftim v'shotrim, you know, judges and police. Do you have the responsibility to set up in all your in all your gates? That's the you know that's the that was the opening line of the of the parsha we read on Shabbos, and uh, I'm reminded just by thinking of it that uh, there's an interesting comment by uh, the Balaturim and others that um, this idea of uh, 
Shoftim Veshotrim, on the simple level, on the basic level, it talks about judges and police people. Um, but on a more subtle level, it's a reflection of the fact that a human being needs to see himself or herself as, as an entity that needs to be protected and governed, spiritually, ethically governed. So we are like, each one of us are a world in and of ourselves, we're a society, each person sees themselves like that. And within ourselves, we have to make sure that there are judges, you know, and, uh, and, and, and police. Within our own persona, there's got to be a, you know, part of our persona has to realize that in order to grow as a person, you have to have, you have to be accountable to the law. You have to be accountable to ethics. And you've got to have a certain kind of uh, motivating force to hold, hold yourself uh, accountable and, and push through. And, and a human being exposes himself. You know, we, we've got gates, so to speak, to our, to our person. You know, and the gates are all those senses that allow us to interact with the world. You know, there's our sight and our hearing and our touch and our smell, you know, our understanding, our minds, everything that creates an ability for us to, you know, interact with the world. We are exposed to information through all our senses. These are the gates that allow the information in. And you've got to have filters. You've got to have shoftim v'shotrim. You've got to have filters to know what's, what's right, what's wrong. You know, this is the whole unbelievably deep approach to, to seeing, you know, an idea which is on a basic level about society, you know, focus on ourselves as individuals. Anyway, I just thought of it as we were, we were talking here because the comment that I read on Shabbos while I was learning was that um, the, 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 very, uh, the very section, the last section of Pashatra A, you know, the last section, just before we come into Pashat Shoftim, is all about the Yontas. We, the last part of Pashatra A summarized all the Yontas of the Jewish people. And then it says, Shoftim Veshotrim. You know, and uh, I saw a comment actually that uh, suggested an interesting flow between the two ideas that we, that why is it Shoftim Veshotrim is so juxtaposed to the idea of all the Yontas? Because so much happens over Yontas. There's so much, uh, all the Simcha, and in, and in the, in the midst of your joy, one often lets your hair down too much. And if you let your hair down too much, we don't want to take too much away from the joy either. You've got to have a, you've got to be able to, there's a mitzvah of simcha on Yontif. But because you can overstep the mark, let your hair down, you know, drink too much, eat too much, lose too much, you know, all that, it's all, we're vulnerable to it. And so in a sense, just as the Yontifs are, are finishing and we've, been, we've been taught about how good it is to be happy over Yontif, we told, hey, make sure that you you filter all our joy through a prism of uh, of holiness too, you know? And that represents this idea of, of being careful about, you know, you can have a fantastic custom or law, but you can undermine it if you are not careful about how you play it. And and yeah, this is one of the this is one of the interesting points that were made about the Minag of Tashlich. That it's a great idea, but if you do it like we used to do it as kids, you know, all the families would congregate and go there, and you know, it became like a real social on Rosh Hashanah. That became inappropriate, 
And possibly that's why uh, many, you know, just didn't get too excited about this because the idea was brilliant. But going as a social group on Rosh Hashanah on the Day of Judgment was seen as potentially inappropriate. So that's possibly why there was, uh, on one level, a kind of a people looking askance at the Minak, which meant do the Minak, do it on your own, but, you know, don't turn it into something that is, that is social, um, which is interesting that this year, this, this is what we're being smashed with, that everything social is, is taken apart. Um, and so if we are able to, you know, walk with one other person or whatever it is, and, you, and you've got an opportunity to use this time, a one-on-one walk to discuss the ideas. And this is really you know, an opportunity for the Tashlich to come to light. But that was maybe one reason why people didn't do it. And the other reason, the other reason which the Gaon of Vilna um, seems very sensitive to, and that is that there's a potential, uh, there's potential for, uh, for superstition and pagan elements to crawl into a custom like this, where, um, where you go and you, there's always a danger when you evoke these kind of physical activities as representing actual spiritual achievements. It's the same thing when you do kaporas, you know, you take a chicken and you, 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 you do a, a ritual with it, and then you shech the chicken, um, and this is like a kapora for you. So he was, he was against that minag as well. He said that, that he thought that minag of, 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 of kaporas was, was too close to, to pagan ritual. And therefore, he, he was against that custom. Some Litvaks, uh, you know, change the custom that we do kaporas, but with money. You know, you take, uh, you take a bit of money and you say that little piece in the machzor just before Yom Kippur, that this is my atonement and this is my forgiveness, you know, and uh, you give the money to charity. But again, this was the kind of theme. Now, I looked for it. Um, I looked for it in, in the actual text, meaning I looked for, for somebody to record that this potential reason was officially the Gauna Vilna's approach to the Tashlich, that that's why he didn't do it, because he thought it could be taken too far. And people think that this ritual you know, of, of throwing sins into the water, you know, is, is pagan. In fact, the, the custom did develop erroneously that people took crumbs with them, bread, and they, and they would crumb it up and throw it into the, into, into the river or into the pond and have the fish, so to speak, eat up the sins, which the crumbs represented. Now, this became a whole halachic problem. If you didn't have an Eruv, or you're carrying the bread and feeding animals, or anyway, this is a this was kind of like a kind of a scene that maybe those who opposed the Minag um, were nervous of, and this is possible. But I didn't see it um, explicitly written in the writings of the Gaon, uh, you know, that this was his reason. Um, when somebody asked me, another Abonim asked me what I thought, I said I thought the combination of one of these two reasons is probably uh, getting close. But I had to admit that I haven't seen any kind of official reason given by the Gowan. For kaparot, you know, for schlep, for slogging in the kaporas or, or the chicken around, that for sure, that's written. That's written that uh, he opposed that. In fact, there's also another minag. That's why I say you can see from his opposition to other customs that this might be a, a logical extension to this. 
There's a lovely custom to decorate the shul on Shavuot morning with all flowers and trees. And because uh, the Midrash tells us that on the, the morning of Shavuot, the barren mountain of Sinai all of a sudden turned green. And uh, in honor of Shavuot or Hashem's presence coming there, so the shul goes green, if you know what I mean. But the, but the Gowan said again, it was it was too close to Palm Sunday. You know what I mean? Like uh, all, you know, Christian worship and pagan worship. So, you know, in too literature style, he left the shul bare. And <laughs> so, you know, but I mean, that goes. Many people, you know, you know, like in, in our yeshiva, you know, the, the one, our, one, our founding Rosh Hashiva, Rav Amitav, was very into this Minag. He, uh, you know, he ignored the gown on this one. And he, the, 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 the Gush had these unbelievable flower arrangements that were made by this incredible gardener. Anyhow, bottom line is that that's why it sort of leads me to potentially offer this as a suggestion as even though the gown gave an unbelievable reason to motivate the Minag, but it really is an academic one from his point of view, as to why the Minak started, and and uh, he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't say anything at that point that that the Minak shouldn't be uh, followed. But his practice and the practice of his Talmudim in Velozhin also did not, uh, you know, didn't do this Minak of Tashlech. I remember coming to the Gush, and I have this in our yeshiva. They had this incredible pond that was designed when they built the yeshiva for the express purpose of Tashlech and. And uh, these beautiful gardens there in the middle of the West Bank and in you know, a foot. And I've got these with the waterfall, you know, an artificial waterfall with fish in it and allows tens of people to stand there on their own and say, Tashlech. And I remember standing on the side a little bit, feeling a bit awkward. And one of the Rabbonim walked by and he said, you know, how's it going? You know, anyway, so um, he says, what's happening? And I told him I'm a bit awkward with his Tashlech. He said, ah, don't feel bad. Your other Rosh Hashiva doesn't say it. Go and speak to Rav Lichnathin. He follows like a Soloveitchik. They follow the Minag of the Gra. They don't say it. So that's, um, anyway, that was the story of Tashlich. But I think there's some beautiful ideas that come to the fore as a result. What, uh, you know, deep ideas that, that force us to, that motivate us, motivate us to focus on, on the, you know, on stumbling blocks that are in our way, on the journey of an Akeda. And that, in that merit, Hashem should uh, give us a, a Shana Tova. And if you're able to, I think in, you know, in this, uh, in our situation, yeah, this, this could be a minag that adds a little bit of character and, and color to, uh, to the Yontav of Rosh Hashanah. So um, if we can still uh, go out there as a, you know, one-on-one or, or with our families, it might be a good way to, to have some oomph injected into the inspiration of Rosh Hashanah. All right, ladies, I will leave you there.